Oh, you guys are good. Yeah, it's good to see your smiling faces today. Uh, welcome to Redstone Elizabeth, and if this is your first time, I think we've got a few uh, visitors. And this is what we do. We meet in a gymnasium at the Boys and Girls Club every Sunday, and it's a lot of fun. So if you've been here, we've been in 2 Peter for a long time, so we're going to be in 2 Peter again today. We're going to jump into the Word of God and see what it says this morning. Um, but before we do so, I got a little bit of feedback, I think. Y'all hear that? Or is it just me? Yeah. Um, but before um, we jump in, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I've been praying this prayer for about two and a half years now, and it's, it sounds a little bit different each week. And, and, I, and I want to share why, just because we've got new people that are coming. There's this, and we feel it this morning when we go through the uh, passage, you'll see it's actually in our, in our teaching. But there's this weightiness that comes when you're taking the word of God, that scripture itself says is God breathed. And you're trying to break that down and disseminate it and present it in a way that we can understand it. Because this is life. This word is what we have for life. Um, John 17 says that it's through this word that we're sanctified and made more like Christ. So anyway, as, as teachers, anytime an elder comes up here and, and speaks, we feel the weight of that. And we want to make sure that the focus is on the word of God and that it's pointing people to Christ and not to this church. You know, that, that we're kind of removed from that. So that's just a serious prayer. And I just want you to know that we want you to join us in praying that. So if you will, just join with me and pray along with me. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for this congregation in this remote part of East Tennessee and this small town, the west side of Elizabethan at the Boys and Girls Club. People have gathered this morning. And Lord, we are here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to connect to our God, to hear from our God, to be encouraged by your word, to be challenged, to be convicted, to be comforted, all of those things, and to encourage one another. And Father, I pray that as we present the word this morning, that anything else that might be there that would either be just mistakes or not of you, Lord, they would just fall quickly to the ground. But what is of you, Lord, what is from your word that it would sink into our hearts? It would accomplish the task that you've, um, that you've set out for it to do. And Lord, that it would change us. Lord, our focus is to be on you and to hear from you and you alone this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you for that. So here was our you know, guide that we've been using. Don't forget, don't stop growing. And we've been in this section of don't be deceived, and then we'll jump into don't doubt his soon return. That'll be next. But we've been in don't be deceived for, you know, a couple weeks now. So um, we're going to go back there. So let's look at our passage. If you got your Bibles, if you don't, it's up here. It's in your worship guide. But let's read through today's passage. And our section on um, these false teachers is actually going to come to an end uh, today. So from verse 17 through 19, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. 
Okay, there's our passage. We'll go back through it. We always do. First, I want to thank Adam Stein. He actually brought us the word over the past two weeks, and you did a really, really good job with that, Adam. And there was a lot of strong language that you had to kind of work your way through, and you presented that to us. But then you also did a good job of pointing us back to the gospel. So we just wanted to say uh, thank you. So we're going to continue those uh, thoughts today. And ideally, we're going to come to the end of the false teaching section uh, today. So the goal is to break down all that he has said in chapter 2 into these bite-sized, easy-to-understand chunks, really more as a way of summary. So it's like, oh, okay, so this is what he's been saying. Um, he's Peter, from the beginning of this chapter, even through these, these passages, this passage today, there's these really strong, descriptive, you know, poignant you know, words that he's been using Peter isn't pulling any punches. We've said it probably every week since we started 2 Peter. It's in the passage at the beginning. He says, my time's coming to an end. The Lord's already made it clear that I'm almost finished. And he's got some words that he wants to share. And he spends this whole chapter saying there's false teachers out there and they're going to come. And man, he uses descriptive language. So the passage again, these, talking about false teachers, these teachers, these false teachers are... Look what he says, waterless springs, mist driven by a storm, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. They're boastful, they're, there's folly, there's, you know, you can, we've read the rest of that passage, but this is strong language, waterless springs. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for these scoundrels. And then look at what he says next, he says, for whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. I, I want to make note of that one. And I put up their addictions because I want you to, to pray for us as we head into next week. Because there's this, there's opportunity that I see here. And it's not, it's not taking um, the passage out of context because it's there for us. This is a true statement. It says, for whatever overcomes a person to that, he's enslaved. And I'm like, oh, this is a really good opportunity to talk about addictions. So if you... Uh, got an email yesterday or the day before yesterday, the elder sent out saying, hey, if you have, um, do, do or have struggled with any kind of addi addiction, this could be drugs, this could be pornography, this could be eating, this could be, you know, drinking or whatever. Um, we did this a couple of years ago with one of the guys in the church that had a real struggle with pornography. And we did like this interview with him. And that doesn't mean I'm going to pull you up here to interview you. But if you've had this struggle, Man, reach out to me. My contact info is in the back of, of the worship guide because I'd love to talk with you. You know, I'm gonna, our, you know, there's already a couple conversations that are going to be had. And if you didn't get that email, by the way, and if you've been coming to Redstone, you know, go do the scan, you know, the QR code or, you know, fill out a form, put it back in the back because we do need your, your email. You know, we do need your contact info because sometimes we'll say, hey, here's a plea. Here's something we'd love to hear from you. And we just love to have everybody in that database. But next week, we're, we're going to like kind of hit pause and say, let's just talk about addictions. So just know that that's coming. So if you don't mind, uh, pray for wisdom um, as we step into that. Okay. So today, though, we're going to look at these three categories, trying to break it down. Probably should be more categories than three, which, which will be explained as we go through it. But we're going to look at teachers that have mistakes or teachings that have mistakes in them. Okay, we're going to look at bad teachings. Uh, sometimes the teaching is just poor or it's just incorrect. 
And then we're going to go back to false teachings, uh, false doctrines, deceptive. Um, again, there's probably more categories than that, but let's just break it down and, and try to make it as simple as we can. So the first one is teachers who make mistakes. Okay, I'll go ahead and put this passage up. This is an area that I have found myself in personally more times than I'd like to admit, and so has every other teacher who's taught the Word of God. Look at what James says, James 3, 1 through 2. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I read that, and every time I read it, I go, oh, you know? And then he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, that he's a perfect man, able to also to, um, to bridle his whole body. All right. So Jesus is the only perfect one who's ever used perfect words. Everybody else who attempts to teach, there are times that they're going to, as the word says here, stumble. Three weeks ago, I stood here and I called uh, Thomas, Timothy, Timothy three times. Y'all remember that? And you tried to tell me, I, there was a, somebody that tried to say it, but I was in the moment. So it was, it was too late. And there was a couple of other things. I think I said that Spencer was the pastor of Redstone Elizabeth, and that's not true at all. Those kinds of errors or mistakes within teachings can sometimes be something as simple as a pronunciation um, or giving a, a wrong Bible reference. Um, but sometimes it's greater than that. Um, I remember when I mean, I, we were talking the other day with a bunch of us were together and we were saying, so when did you come to faith? When did you come to faith? When did you come to faith? It was at a luncheon. And for the most part, the, the years were um, 17 to I think 23. Yeah, I think that was right. Yeah. So during these formative years, we're like, look at that. This is when the Lord really um, got a hold of all of our hearts, everybody who's sitting at this table. And it was the same way with me. You know, and I remember like coming, you know, to faith and just seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and my buddy, I was able to lead him to the Lord and with them were like, let's start a Bible study. So we did. So every Thursday night, Cammy and I were newlyweds and every Thursday night we had opened up our apartment and it was cool, man. I mean, there was college kids, there was high school kids, there were some older people that were coming. We had a guy called in the ministry through that Bible study. We had others that walked away from, um, from addictions. You know, there, there was a lot of fruit from it. And here's the however. He and I, new believers, we were the primary teachers. We took turns. Looking back on it, I taught a lot of wrong things. I just did. I thought they were right at the time. The Lord still used the ministry, if you will, to, to bring about fruit. But I was kind of embarrassed, you know, 10 years later looking and saying, oh, I didn't really understand hermeneutics, how to properly look at a text within the context of what was being said and understand, you know, who were the people that he was referring to and what does the rest of scripture say? I didn't know how to do all that. I was just picking verses here and there and turning it into a Bible study. I remember being at Bible college one time and there was this heated debate. The topic doesn't matter, so don't even ask me, but there was a debate and um, it was the purpose of it was to have a debate. And I was, I chose this position. And man, I defended my position and I used scripture, a lot of scripture. And I actually won the debate. But five years later, I realized my position was wrong. You know, the whole time, I, you know, I was, I was just using scripture. And then I realized, oh, I was actually wrong. And I didn't see that in the moment. So sometimes it's not just a pronunciation. You know, if you want to talk more about that, I can explain, you know, more of that later, what I'm, what I'm saying. You know, but sometimes it's like, oh, that teaching was, was off. 
And, and that's okay in certain situations until we get into the gospel itself and, and just core doctrine. And I'll talk about that in a moment. There's pastors and, and theologians, I can give you examples, who have written whole books on a particular doctrine that later on in their life, they've gone back and said, you remember that book I wrote 20 years ago? Everything that I said was just wrong. As I've continued to pray and study and look at the totality of scripture, the conclusions that I came to, they were actually off. I wish I had to do over, you know, and maybe some of them did and they wrote another book. Okay, now that's not an excuse. You know, pay attention to all my words today. You know, so that's not an excuse for sloppy, uh, mistake-ridden teaching, but it's a reality because we're all a work in progress. We're told to study so that we can teach properly, but if any of us think that we can attend any church throughout America or anywhere in the world, that you'll never hear a mistake, and if you're expecting that kind of perfection from your teacher, James is like, it's not going to happen because everyone stumbles. You know, if we're looking for that kind of response from our teachers, that's probably even a deeper heart issue to find out, well, where's that coming from? Okay, so just to understand, category one is um, just mistakes. Now, the passage that Peter has given us goes way beyond a teacher making mistakes, which we will get into in a moment. But before we do so, I'm going to introduce this really, really uh, complex uh, litmus test that we're going to use to determine whether something um, how something should be dealt with. It's real complex. You've probably never seen it before, but it's a red light, yellow light, green light system. You ever seen that before? Yes, of course, we all have. In kindergarten at Providence Academy, man, if you got a green light, that was a good day. If you got a yellow light, it's like, okay, word of caution here. You know, Johnny did a couple of things and he's right on the verge of getting a red light. If you got a red light, your life was over when you got home, right? So, and we see the same thing, obviously, with traffic, but it's just a simple way of us looking at these categories. So utilizing this symptom, this, uh, this system, a symptom system that we're all familiar with, how do we handle someone who makes mistakes in their teaching? You know, it's real simple, green light, okay? Green light, they're going to make mistakes. We can stay under their teaching we extend grace to them. We pray for them. A lot of those things we don't even pay attention to. Mistakes are normal. There's no deception involved. Sound orthodoxy is not being compromised. The gospel is not being compromised. Okay, if we don't have the ability to extend grace to people that make mistakes, like I said, that's, that's a, a deeper symptom. Okay, so let's move on to the second category. Second category, we're going to call bad teaching. How about when the teaching is just bad? I couldn't think of a better word to use than bad. So there it is. It could mean a lot of things. It could be long, dry, dull, repetitive, incorrect, confusing, which is probably why there's more than three categories here. But for purposes of today, I would say bad teaching could be teaching that leans, these are examples, uh, more on the law than on grace, or that focuses too much on, another way of saying it, on works instead of the atonement and what Christ has done. That is just maybe just wrong. Like some of the things I used to teach at my Bible study, it's wrong on things like tithing and Sabbath applications or how often communion should be taken 
and just a variety of other topics. But, and hear me on this, bad teaching would be elevated to a completely different level when sound orthodoxy and the gospel are compromised. Okay, that's completely different. Okay, it may not be intentional and being done with deceit in the way that Peter is speaking of in this passage, but gospel compromise and core doctrine being compromised takes bad teaching to, we'll call it very, very bad teaching altogether. Okay, so let me go ahead and say this. When we look at bad teaching, what is that? Well, that's a yellow. That's a yellow light. Be careful. You got to keep an eye on that probably needs to be addressed. It does need to be addressed. Be careful not to be led astray. Make sure that we're staying in the word like the Bereans. I think it's in Acts you know, 17 where they're studying the scriptures to see if what was being taught to them was actually true or not. Is it impacting your understanding and application of the gospel? Okay, that's at a different level. Is it ingrained in the church or within the teacher that this is this theme it just keeps on coming up and they keep on driving it home and they seem like they've got an axe to grind here and are the teachers open to discussing this thing so this is just yellow and and you're going to have to like use discernment to know how to handle it yeah can you stay in a church like that or do you need, do you need to go you know what is the gray area you know, how often does it surface? You know, so on and so forth. It's, it's be careful. It's yellow light. But if you do hear the gospel being uh, added to, you know, it's the gospel plus or diminished or the authority and the reliability of scripture being challenged or anything else that relates to the basic tenets of the Christian faith, what we call sound orthodoxy. You know, in the Reformation, it was the, the solas, sola fide and gratia and scriptura and sola, you know, Christo and sola deo gloria, which all means salvation is revealed in the scriptures alone. It's by faith alone. It's through grace alone. It's because of Christ's atonement alone, and it is for the glory of God alone. That's salvation. And if any of those are being compromised, then Christianity itself is being compromised. And then we go to a completely different level because now we're talking about heretical teachings. Okay. But the bad teaching that I'm primarily talking about today, it's not at that level. It's just hermeneutically, you know, as you look at how you interpret scriptures, it's sloppy. I had a, well, I still have a friend who, um, they moved out of the area and they've got a new house and he's trying to give his son, who's very young, he's under the age of five, if I remember correctly, and he's like, here's the rules. So one of the rules is that there's a road right there and here's where the house is. So there's a boundary, okay? And you cannot go beyond this boundary. So one day the dad's outside and the son's out there and he's watching him and he gets a little bit closer to that boundary, a little bit closer, and then he goes over the boundary and he's just watching him. He's like, what is he doing? And he goes a little bit further. So he goes over to him. This is true. This is, I love this quote. He goes over to him and he's like, son, what are you doing? The little boy puts up his hand like this and says, dad, I have Jesus in my heart and Jesus in my head. I know what I'm doing. That was a response from the kid. 
Yeah, I mean, as a dad, what do you, you know, what do you do there? I'm sure he was like dying laughing inside, but he was like, no, this is the rule. And I laughed and I was thinking about that because sometimes that's what teachers do with their bad teaching. I have Jesus. Jesus guides me as I prepare. So this is truth. And that's not always correct. If it's presented without, you know, proper study, it may be that, yeah, you have Christ. You know, Christ is in the word, but the way that you take this word and prepare and you present it, that you can actually uh, be off. So you got to be all, um, you got to be uh, careful with that. I, I remember um, another pastor friend, he's here in Johnson City, and he just had one of these, mo- you know, moments in a meeting where he just kind of went off, you know, in the congregation because he, he saw people and they were leaving and they were leaving because this church over here and this church over here, they had amazing youth program and they had amazing, amazing children's programs and they were taking their kids and they were going to those those churches, and it was because of the programs, but the teachings were very unorthodox. They were not biblically sound. And he was like, what are you doing? You don't leave a church and you go just because they've got a great children's program. You need to be in a church where there's sound teaching. And I think that he was right, maybe not in the way that he expressed it to everyone, um, but he was right. And here's another quick story. Another, however, we have another friend, and I've walked with this guy for a long time, and he was applying for a pastoral position. And it was in another state. And one of the positions that the church had was just wrong biblically. And it was just one of those things that keeps on coming up. It was in their writing. It was like one of these kind of like you got to sign, you know, on this dotted line here in blood that if you're going to be here, that you're going to endorse this and you're going to teach this. And he was like, man, I love everything else about this church. You know, what should I do? And my counsel was, yeah, you don't go. You can't go to a church and teach where there's not sound orthodoxy or where they're adding to the gospel or they've taken something that people have disagreed with all over the centuries and they're saying, yeah, but we found the answer and we're going to elevate it here. And if you're here, you're going to have to do the same thing. It's just there's open-handed issues and there's closed-handed issues. And in this case, they were taking what should have been an open-handed issue and making it closed-handed. And I said, here's the problem with that. If you step into that, what's going to be next? And how can you faithfully shepherd your flock when you don't even agree with some of the things that the church is teaching? Those are just examples. Okay, so let me pause for a second and say something else that's really, really important. Please understand that using... um, the fact that everyone makes mistakes and that sometimes our teaching might be off in a few areas is, and hear me on this, is not an excuse for bad preparation or bad teaching. Teachers, including yours truly and anyone else who comes to the pulpit at Redstone Elizabethan, cannot use that as a cop-out. Ah, we all make mistakes. Bad teachers are everywhere. So we haphazardly present something and we call it a biblical sermon. Consider this passage from 2 Peter 2.15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? Do your best, or as some translators have said it, study to show yourself approved. We have a responsibility. The word here for best in the Greek means 
work hard, be eager, pay serious attention to, and be zealous for. And the single word that's here translated as rightly handling in this passage means, by definition, to guide along a straight path or cut in a straight line, to teach correctly, and to expound rightly. So the call is a clear call and the instruction that's given is to speak just the opposite of mistake-ridden, lackadaisical, sloppy preparation. So I just want to make sure that that's understood. Okay, now moving on. My primary reason for even bringing up those two categories, because that's, you know, in inserting some teaching beyond what this text is showing, but it's to show that this is not what Peter's talking about, okay? These other two categories, teaching with mistakes or teachings that are sometimes they're just bad, it's not what Peter's talking about or what Adam referred to in the last two Sundays, no. You know, as Adam stated, and we'll reiterate, you know, shortly, false teachers have invaded the church or had and have invaded the church and they're doing so with intentionality they were and are deceptive, and they have a mission to compromise the gospel, and in some way, they'll benefit from doing so. Okay, so with that, let's move on to our third category, the persons that Peter is warning against in this lengthy passage, and it's the false teachers, those who are intentionally teaching false. And throughout this passage in Second Peter, he is saying these teachers are out there, they will come, beware. They are deceptive because they look like us. They use the word of God, they just twist it. They're charismatic, they're fun, they're influential, they're very persuasive, they're crooked schemers with a personal agenda that is self-serving and you need to be able to see through that. These are false teachers. And immediately he's saying, He's not saying it, but he's implying with the terminology that we're using. This is a red light situation. Stop. Don't listen. Confront them. Remove them. Run away. Do something. But do not be deceived. Again, there's the note. They're from within. They use the word of God. That's deception. They entice by appealing to fleshly needs. Lots of different, you know, money, health, happiness, or you know, whatever. There's other things that we could insert there as well. And the gospel is definitely compromised. So what I'd like to do is spend the rest of our time thinking about the tactics that these false teachers are using and to consider what their primary motives are and who exactly it is that they're trying to deceive. So if you look at the passage, if you go back to verse number 14, and you can see it right there in your Bible, it says that they entice unsteady souls. Do you see that? They entice unsteady souls. And if you skip up to verse number 18, it says, same word, entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. I find those two descriptions quite interesting. First off, they're going after unsteady souls and those who are barely escaping. So what does that mean? These are people 
without balance. Or the word that I think I used at sermon prep was that these are wobbly people. People whose faith is simply not grounded. The people these false teachers are going after, people within the church, they're probably people that actually believe the gospel. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to die for their sins, which is typically what people think of, especially in the South, when you say, do you believe the gospel? Oh, yeah, Jesus was Son of God and he died for my sins. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's so much more to the gospel than just that. And these unsteady, unsteady wobbly um, un, you know, souls, the ones that are barely escaping um, error, they don't understand the full implications of the atonement and what exactly that it means that God himself would come and give himself for us. What that means to every area of our life, our present, our future, his presence with us, his promise to take care of us, our identity being secure, the, the fact that guilt is completely you know, removed from us. The fact that he gives us gifts to use for his purpose and our whole purpose and the, the reason and the way that we live changes in that one moment. There's so much that's wrapped up in the gospel and these individuals don't see that. So they're unsteady and these deceivers come in and they're offering them something. They're offering the listener something that they don't think that the gospel speaks to. And it actually says in verse number 19 that they're promising it to them. They're promising them freedom. Wow, those are strong words. Freedom from what? What kind of freedom could they promise that Christ doesn't provide within the gospel? Yeah, I mentioned them. Identity, health, financial security, victory, enlightenment, happiness, love, hope for the future, and many others. You know, the same kinds of enticements that the enemy used in Genesis to entice Adam and Eve. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now the truth is the gospel is all we need. We say that we're a gospel-centered church. So yes, we're going to teach that Jesus is real and he's the son of God and he died for our sins, but we're going to teach much more than that. Those gospel implications, they impact your job, your relationship with your neighbors, your finances, your time, your relationship with your spouse, the way that you parent, and we could go on and on. We saw back in chapter one, verse number, I think it was four, might be three, y'all have to look it up, where it says his divine power has granted to us all things that relate to life or that pertain to life and to godliness. All things he's provided. All of that is through the gospel, which culminates with the power of God himself residing within us. We're deeply loved at the highest level. We're provided for in every way that we need, and there's nothing that anyone else can offer us in addition to this gospel. But if I don't know that, if I don't understand that, I may be wobbly and be prone to being enticed. Okay, unsteady souls, barely escaping. And if that's us, if we don't believe these things, you know, then that could, we could be prone um, as well. I think that it's safe to say that some of the largest churches in America have false teachers. 
I think it's safe to say that. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but in listening to some of their teachings, I've seen some of that. Now, that is in no way saying that large churches are doctrinally um, in error. Um, but there's something to some of the churches that we'll see. And I'm not going to name pastors today because they're, they're not my churches. But the question is, why is it that people flock to those churches? I mean, it's like a concert. It's like they're sold out. There's so many people there. So in doing research and going and listening and reading, I think it's because the teachings are so focused on us. They're so humanistic. They come with promises, and the promises are not related to the glory of God and his kingdom. They're for us. And the promises have little to do, as I said, with the glory of God or dying to self or the fact that Christians are called to persevere through sufferings in this world and to abide in Christ with our goal to be um, holy as he is holy for his glory. No, the promises are for our happiness and our security and our financial security. They're self-serving and people flock to that because they're looking for answers and they have needs in their lives and there's hope within these words and they're so, they're so properly, improperly presented that there's, they're enticing. The rhetoric is so strong that it sounds convincing because they're actually using the word of God and it's deceiving people. Adam, you did a good job walking us through verse number one through 16, especially related to the fact that we're going to know false teachers by their fruit. And you showed us this is what godly fruit looks like and this is what false fruit looks like. So as we wrap up this three-week summary or this three-week teaching with a summary, I want to, there's probably more, but I want to look at two specific hallmarks that you can always see within the false teachers. Okay, the first one is going to be what we'll call gospel compromise. And the second one is the personal benefit uh, to the teacher. False teachers will always add to or take away from the gospel itself. That's why Peter is using such forceful language. He says, waterless springs they are. And mist driven by the storm, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. And I'm like, wow, tell us how you really feel, Peter. You know, those are pretty strong words. He's using such strong language. There's another um, passage in Galatians that uses similar language when they're trying to add to the gospel. You fool, listen to it. it, says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has deceived you? It's the same thing. It's like, wow, that's really strong language. Why such strong language? Because he sees that they have fallen prey to teachings that contain our word here, gospel compromise. Teachings that say that either the gospel is not enough or it suggests that somehow and in some way we actually contribute to our own salvation. And Paul is saying no, no, no in Galatians. And Peter is saying no, no, no in Second Peter. 
Or think about the time that Paul rebuked Peter to his face in front of others because Peter was acting differently when he was around the Gentiles. But in doing so, Peter himself was compromising gospel truths. And Paul got up in his grill in front of everyone else. Why? Because it wasn't just bad teaching. It wasn't that there were just errors. It's that the gospel itself was being compromised. And all of these people are listening to your teaching and you just compromise the gospel. I think Peter learned from that. And we see it in his teachings in 2 Peter. Okay, moving on. Uh, The second hallmark is what we'll call just personal benefits of the teacher. They're using trickery to somehow get something in return. It could be, these are examples, prestige, notoriety, money, pleasure, different kinds of pleasure, sensual pleasures that are mentioned in this passage, or just success. And maybe the success is diminishing the gospel message and pulling believers away. At a different level, these are not just bad teachers. They come in to deceive. Remember when Jesus overturns the tables at the temple? It's like, wow, that was pretty strong. Why such a strong response? What was being taught in practice was uh, the way to God was through these money changers, and they developed a system that they were going to be able to benefit and take advantage from people that were truly seeking God. And Jesus You know, saying my house is to be called a house of prayer. It's that kind of self-serving teaching that needed a strong response. So, of course, Jesus turns over the table and drives them out. It's why we so forcefully encourage, and we've said this more than one occasion, to avoid the new apostolic reformation the teachings of health, wealth, and prosperity. Because these teachers use just enough scripture and enough logic to entice people with their message, but what they're presenting is something that the focus is on the listener, but somehow these individuals are benefiting from their own false teachings and from their agenda. So at the end of the day, Asking the questions of, is the gospel being compromised? And is the teacher benefiting? And when I say benefiting, I mean by taking advantage of others, are they benefiting from these teachings? That's a good litmus test as to whether these are false teachers or not. For, and hear me on this, okay? If we are truly called gospel teachers... Our number one objective is and will be, as John the Baptist said, for us to decrease so that he might increase. To show our brokenness and his power and his powers of restoration. To die daily to self, the self that the false teachers are appealing to, so that Christ and Christ alone would be exalted. Peter's time is coming to an end and he's spending a lot of time and a lot of energy warning the church 
deceivers will come. They are out there. They will weasel their way into the church. And if any of you guys are not just solid in your understanding of the implications of the gospel, then you're the wobbly ones. You're unsteady. You're barely escaping, escaping, and you will be drawn away. And what Peter's saying and what I'm saying is the cross is enough. The atonement is enough. The gospel is enough. And it encompasses more than just your forgiveness. So, so much more. I love Psalm 44 as it relates to this topic. It says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. These false teachers are proud and they are full of lies and deceit. Blessed are we if we don't turn to them, but instead we rest secure in the Lord and in sound, faithful, orthodox, biblical, consistent teachings. Okay, and so in summary, you got to answer these out loud. You ready? For using a red light, green light, what did I say, red, green, yellow light system, how do we respond to teachers that make mistakes? Green light. We pray for them. We give them grace. We're all a work in progress, and every teacher who's teaching the Word of God knows, as James says, that we will have to give an account for our teaching. So we, we already know that. So pray that we'll grow in our understanding of the word of God and that we'll be able to teach it well. And when we don't, when we do cross a line and go into bad teaching, that we come back and we repent of that and we correct it well. Okay? How about to those teachers who from time to time, they just teach things that are wrong. What do we do there? What, what kind of light do you think? Yellow light. Which means we've got to remain watchful in that one. That could turn into something if we're not careful. The last thing we need is more pharisaical teaching where the teacher elevates human tradition or their own beliefs above what the word of God says. And if we see a pattern there, it's kind of a Matthew 18 situation. We've got to go to them. We have to talk to them. We have to confront them. They don't listen, we take somebody else with us and we go back to them because there is a line that's been crossed. We are to be like the Bereans. I mentioned them earlier in Acts 17. We're to study the scriptures to see if what's being taught is true or not. And where you see it, hmm, that was a mistake. Okay, extend grace, pray for them. But if you see a line that's been crossed or a pattern that's being developed or there's an ax to grind, then you have to be willing to go to them. Anytime that the gospel is compromised, it's taking it to the next level. Absolutely. They have to be confronted. I would have to be confronted too. Okay? And teachers who compromise the gospel and who take advantage of people, take advantage of people for their own benefit. What kind of light's that? It's a red light. Expose them. Not only just run from that, but expose them. We could probably have another sermon to talk about what that should look like, how you confront in these situations. But they need to be exposed and confronted. 
You need to warn others. And you need to show them why, scripturally, biblically, this is why what they're teaching is, is false and it's deceptive. And this is the group that Peter is talking about in this passage. And he was warning the church then, these teachers are going to come. And borrowing from 2 Peter, we're saying the same thing. They're going to come. They're already here. One of these days they could weasel their way into a redstone Elizabeth. And I pray not. Thus, we have to go to the word of God. Your teachers have to study the word of God. You have to pray for us as we study the word of God. And when we're, we're off, you know, pray for us. When we cross the line because there's a position that compromises the gospel, you got to come to us. If you hear heresy, you got to come to us as well. Here's our passage, then we'll close in prayer. These are waterless springs, these teachers, and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever over, overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, help us to understand what Peter was warning the church of. And I pray that each of us would be on guard as well. Lord, we pray as we did earlier, we pray for our teachers that are in our region, that they would uplift the word of God, that the focus would be on the gospel and that they would decrease and that Christ and your gospel would increase. And Lord, I pray that you guard us um, from false teachers and Lord, I pray for those of us that are sitting here this morning that know someone who is sitting under false teaching, that you would give them wisdom and discernment to know how to maybe step into that conversation. Lots of words. Let's just be still for a few moments before the Lord. Just remain in a state of prayer. And then I think I'm going to open up the mic just for a few minutes. All right, Christ, then we pray. Amen. Mike, do you have a mic? All right, good, good deal. Uh, we haven't done it in a couple of weeks just because of time. Um, but if, you, um, if you're hearing this teaching, if you've been here for the past three weeks as we've been talking about f false teachers and your wheels are turning, or you've got a word, you know, a, a scripture that you want to share, or even maybe a short experience or a word of encouragement, we just want to open it up um, to the body. I won't spend a lot of time there, really just for the sake of protecting our Camp Redstone teachers because they got a lot of kiddos you know, back there. So I want to make sure that we, we end at a proper time. So with that being said, who's got a thought? Question, thought, word. Got Cole. Cole Owen's going to start us off. Yeah, so I have a friend who has been talking to Abby and I about some thoughts, which both the, her and I kind of just have, we're scratching our heads. We don't understand them. They don't make a whole lot of sense. And it kind of is along the same lines as the new apostolic reformation thing yeah. that you had talked about. And I feel like I want to say something to her, but, and confront her, 
but I don't know like if I have enough knowledge of the word to be like, these are the verses that I think contradict that. But I also feel like I need to say something. So I don't know like, do I say something or don't I? Where's that line? Do I have to know all the stuff before I confront or is that something I step into and then hopefully the conversation would. All right, did y'all hear the question? Okay, I've always got a quick response. I'm not going to go there. So based upon what Cole said, who, who would respond to that? What might you say? Okay, right behind you. Hi, Cole. Um, having dealt with this, um, I, would, I would use the scriptures first and foremost. A lot of the new apostolic types also um, have self-proclaimed prophets and apostles. For the prophets, you could use Deuteronomy 13 and 18, which says you must be 100% accurate all the time. That's pretty clear cut. Um, and, you know, I would just home in directly on the scriptures that refer to their errors because that there are scriptures that cover all of it. So if you want to talk to me afterwards or sometime, I might be able to refer you some, to some more. But rely on the word, um, because they, the errors are prolific and profound. And as Jerry just outlined, there are always personal benefits. Hmm. A lot of it is self-empowerment to proclaim things into existence and that sort of thing. And they're not in the word. I would encourage her to get in the word. Yeah, Cole, going, you know, even going back to that thought of, um, you know, the Bereans like studying the word. So I think you're right. I think that you got to know the word. Okay. So you sit down with pastors or some people that can help you with that or Mary or whomever, and you dig into the word. But let, just forget that for a second because that's a given. Right. Um, but the sense that you have that something's off, I think that's the thing you pay attention to. You know, the, you know, Colossians, you know, four, you know, two, remain steadfast in prayer and watchful in it. You know, I use that a lot with Thanksgiving. You pay attention if you're like, okay, something's off there. And you begin taking that to the Lord. And if you continue to sense that something is off there, you don't always have to have the right answer. That's the thing that I think sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, I got to go to Bible college so I can have an answer to every situation. Sometimes you speak the truth in love and that might be, listen, I wish I had all of these scriptures. I've got a few, but I sense that you're under some bad teaching. Can we have conversations about that? And can we dig in scriptures together? You know, you just start somewhere, but just being willing to open up your mouth, I think is a good starting place. You know, so don't feel the weight of the, the pressure of, but I have to have an answer to this debate that might take place. You know, sometimes they just don't know. And if you're like, I sense something's off here. Can we talk about this? The Lord will use that. That's a step of faith. Most often is ignorance rather than some malicious intent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Very good. Good stuff. Who else? How are we on time? Okay, we got two. After that, when you got Jerry Lynn over here. I think it's important to remember, too, that um, these red light sort of teachings um, that we're aware of, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation is relatively new yeah. um it's based on heresies that have been around since you know since the church was formed practically so you know it, it isn't it's new but it's not 
Um, but there are also plenty of other false teachings that are very old, or at least a couple hundred years old. Um, many Catholic teachings are old heresies that have just been ingrained. I'm sorry if you grew up Catholic, but if you're here, you know something was wrong anyway. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, any of the elders would be more than happy to discuss that with you if you have questions. Um, two, week, like two weeks ago, remember I said, and the Pope's words are not equal to scripture and I'm already gonna be kicked out of Rome because of that. So exactly. no, it's already yeah. been stated. Amen, I'm right with you, Jerry. Let's yeah. get excommunicated together. Um, but there's also things like the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith's teachings and things that have been ingrained into American society. Um, we, we don't get, uh, what I'm trying to say is that um, these false teachings are respected. Mm. Um, they're not just new and novel and they don't just go away. A lot of times, you know, they, they aren't as enduring and as lasting is the true word of God, but in our limited human uh, vision, they, they, they do seem like they're worth looking at a lot of times from the outside. Yeah. But when you start to examine them, it's again, just like you said, they add or take away from the gospel and there's always personal benefit. Yeah. It's yeah. not to the glory of God. It's to the glory of man. That's a good catch, Kathy. So thanks for reminding us of that. So a lot of these, you know, we, we kind of pick on the NAR a lot because it is new and it's a new shiny thing that people are running to. But the others, they're established. And um, Jerry Lynn is up here. And um, yeah, that, that's just so true. And here's the other thing, like we're talking about, I remember when Adam and we were kind of looking at the passages together. There's so much in this passage. Right? There's no way that we can properly disseminate and break down all of the implications as it relates to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonisms and a lot of other you know, hosts of bad teachings that are out there. That's why I was like, let's go with red light, green light, you know, yellow light, and let's kind of you know, watch the litmus test to try to simplify it, and then you can take it and apply it as you choose to. Jerilyn. Okay, first of all, um, the new apostolic reformation, is that similar to, I mean, I understand you're saying health, wealth, and prosperity. Yeah. Is that like the charismatic movement? It's deeper than that. Yeah, it's deeper than that. So there's new apostles that have come that have been established for today, and they have the word of God that they're really presenting in a way that's equal to scripture. And I could go on. Okay. Yeah. But then I want to know, like, when there comes to resources, mm -hmm. um, are we as believers um, wanting to um, stand on the truth and, and the red light, green light, red light, yellow light, green light? Um, if there's stuff out there that is developed by a person or by a group of people that do not handle the word of God properly that add to or take away from the gospel and do it for their own benefit should we be using their resources no then i think the bible project is something that we need to look at okay we'll talk about that because we're big bible project fans and we know some of those guys so like that's one of those things and i want to be careful like not calling out specific individuals right. But, so but if you but if you see something like that come to us that, like in trying to understand i yeah. think it's so easy sometimes right for us to look at certain things and go blanket like 
that's absolutely not okay. We don't align with that. Yeah. And then I think it's harder when things kind of, there's places uh, that they line up and then there's places where they don't. Yeah. So, so I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you like a really, probably a poor, but it's a quick answer. And it's because I'm thinking about Camp Redstone and I want us to take communion too. So let me hit pause first and say this. If you've got kids in Camp Redstone and if you need to get them, you're welcome to get them and bring them back. So I just want you to know that. Okay. But sometimes, like, I think I think I want to be real careful, you know, and we've had this, I've had this conversation with at least three other couples within this church. I want to be real careful to say, oh, we can't touch anything because the source that it came from is bad. I've used Stephen, Stephen Covey as an example. He's a Mormon. He writes a book, the Seven Habits of, what is it? Yes, that. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says a lot of really, really good things in that, but he's a Mormon. So a lot of people would say, you can't use his stuff because he's a Mormon. I'm like, yeah, but all truth is from God, so you can borrow these truths. So I want to be real careful not to be one of those, we can't do things because this person is the author and he's not a, a gospel believer. Because that's a, I mean, the Mormons are, they're a cult, right? And even with the music, like we've had situations where we talked about like Bethel music and I'm just saying that out loud, you know, it's like there's a lot of really, really, really bad teachings within Bethel music. But there's some of the people within Bethel that have written some really, really good gospel-centered songs, you know, and it could be Hillsong, it could be others, you know, as well. What do you do in those situations? So we have these ongoing conversations and I want to be really careful, you know, that we say, oh, we will not do you know sing this song or what have you because these people are associated with it when there's other sound orthodox musicians and you know singers that are actually using it because it's a really really good song you know some of the old hymns that we have that we sing or that churches sing all the time came out of some of the teachers that were just really really bad so i don't want to just be blanket like black and white so i think it's just a deeper discussion than that and it's going to be the same way with the bible project so i'd have to talk about that look at that and see Right, and um, yeah, 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 no. It, it, I just need, look, we'd have to look into that. You would have to you know, look into that and see. And I think that that's the discernment that we're trying to apply here. So we break it down. Are they benefiting and is it um, tied to the gospel? And if it's not, that's a big red flag. You fly that. And if we jump into it and say, oh yeah, she was right, then we, we deal with that then. So these are good examples of the kinds of things that we're going to be exposed to and how do we respond. Okay, next. We got Kyler Tyree. I almost said Williams because you used to be Williams. Kyler and Evan are having a baby boy. Congratulations. Sorry, that had to happen. The blue confetti flew last night out of my house, so we're excited. There will never be any secrets in our family. Um, okay, so I was in a class yesterday and our professor um, mentioned a passage that um, I thought is very applicable to this discussion. And I think that I approached the topic of false teaching with a very like, um, I want to be aware, I want to be, I want to use discernment, I want people, other people around me to be informed. Um, and sometimes can come across like as a, like from a very critical um, or even judgmental spirit. Um, but this passage was really helpful for me. It's Philippians 1, 15 through 18. It says, Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, 
knowing that I am put here for the, the defense of the gospel. For the former proclaimed the Christ, Christ out of selfish, selfish ambition, which is what we were talking about. Um, and then he goes on to say, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yeah. So Paul is looking at um, this church, and he's like, some people are preaching uh, Christ from selfish motives, um, and maybe they're preaching false teachings, but um, if Christ is being proclaimed, then like that's enough, and I'm going to rejoice in that. And I think it was just a good reminder that God is sovereign, and he is in control, and even though like we want to be informed, and we want to guard against the false teachings and we want to be aware of that those things we also have to trust that the lord can use anything and anyone in any situations um, and even really really poor teachers to bring forth the gospel um, and it helps me to recognize that just because um, we are in a culture in a world where there's a ton of false teachings around us um, it, it gives me comfort knowing that we do have a God that's in control and we can trust him um, while using discernment and, and informing ourselves and other people around us along the way. Yeah, no, good word. The, the one thing I would kind of underscore there in that passage is that it really was the gospel that was being taught. You know, so Christ was being taught. The atonement was being taught. Jesus is Emmanuel. He died. He died for your sins. And that was the message that was causing people like Paul to go to prison, right? So some people were like, let's just cause more pain for them and let's preach that message. But here's what the word of God says. It's the foolishness of what is being preached that saves those that are being saved. Okay, so it's this gospel message itself, even if it's coming from someone who had, uh, you know, bad motives, God can still use this message of the gospel to save people. I don't save people. You don't save people. It's the gospel message. You're broken and sinful and God is a restorer and he came and he died and his sacrifice would cover all of your sins and all else that goes with the gospel. These teachers were teaching the gospel and people were being saved. Okay. And that's why Paul says, and for that, I rejoice. I don't care what their motive is because the gospel is being preached. The only red flag would be if it wasn't the gospel that was being preached or if they were saying the gospel's good, but it's the gospel plus these things. Those are the situations, remember, where Paul gets up in Peter's grill. It's like, no, 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 you don't add to the gospel. But if you are just giving the gospel, you're right. And that's what that passage is saying. So I agree with you. There was one more. This is the last one. Okay, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I was just going to offer up. Uh, it, sometimes it's not the message that they give, but it's also what they don't say, right? So if, we, if you're not a student of the word and you hear someone say something, it can be just the few things that they didn't say yeah. that's in the word that can be the false teaching too. And if we don't go and check the word and, and, and study and what we're being told, we won't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Man, you talk about a packed passage with lots of implications. This is one of those. Uh, so thanks for your patience with us as we've tried to break this one down. We're going to step into a time of communion now, and I'm going to go let Camp Redstone people know that we'll be done soon.